HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Hello, welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm your host, Darren Bresnitz. Today, we're heading to the homeland of Montreal to chat with two of my favorite people, Vanya and Marc Olivier, and their restaurant, Vin Mon Lapin. We talk about how they got their start in the local culinary scene, how they met, what one could expect when they visit the restaurant, and what it means to be the number one spot in Canada. It was a great conversation, and I cannot wait to go visit them again in the city that I love. And then it's a live performance from Sonder Yurians, whose new album, Phantom Limb, is out on his own imprint, Ghost Talk Records. We chat about the holiday season, his approach to writing songs for his own album versus scoring incredible shows and movies like Ozark and Martha Marcy May Marlene, and also him entering a song into the L.A. and New York song canon. It's an all-new episode just for you here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. It's ritual, sacrifice. Behind the veil, illusion Whoa. 
Vanya and Marco, two of my favorite people from Montreal. So good to see your faces. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. I know it's a busy time of year, so thanks for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're excited to see you too. Um, look, Montreal's one of my homes. Dad's from there. And, you know, I am familiar with the food scene, but not as, as intimately as you two. And I do consider yourself like, being young, but still two veterans of like sort of like the modern scene. Um, and so much has changed over the years and even from like when I started going up and when I met you guys. But what do you remember from from when you got started to something now that's still the same that you still love that keeps you in the game? What a good question. Um, you know, that's I think that's kind of what we all love about the restaurant scene anywhere, you know, like I was just in Italy and the Euro, the espresso is still one Euro after mm-hmm. all the years. Like I love holding on to those things. So mm. places, for example, in Montreal, like full of nostalgia, like L'Express or like Wilensky's, um, mm. places like that, that are still. Schwartz's. Mine. That's mine. Exactly. They're yeah. still exactly the same. Haven't changed. Like, you know, I mean, they might have painted a wall, but I haven't noticed. Like, nothing <laughs> has really evolved from uh, the first ever time that we stepped foot in there. So those places, um, I mean, with Marco, like our rotation is really filled with those classics. Like, that's really what we love to to keep going back to, just because, yeah, there's something so comforting about it. Yeah, I mean, there is such a comfort of going back into the city. And 
I mean, there's been such a culinary spotlight on the city itself. I mean, the last 10, 15, 20 years has really, I think, brought Montreal into so much more of the global conversation. Um, and you talk about these old spots um, that are like just part of the fabric. So what do people, maybe outsiders, sometimes misunderstand about the city? Wow. Those are deep questions there. And <laughs> the, you know, one thing that we get told a lot and like, it's something that you really have to be from outside of the city to notice because we mm. have in us, I feel like a big part of it is the, the joie de vivre and the hospitality that you, you find in, in, in restaurants in Montreal. Uh, of course, the food, of course, all the, the, you know, the, the now famous uh, generous portions and the foie gras and all of that. But <clears throat> sorry, what, what I find is really special in Montreal is the, is how people are used to go to restaurants and the diversity of restaurants that you, that we have here. Uh, I find that that makes Montreal a bit special. You know what I love? I love that everything is packed until like one in the morning. Mm hmm. And I take that for granted all the time. And whenever I travel outside, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not necessarily a, a given uh -uh. Like, thing everywhere, right? Um, I love yeah. that you walk into, you know, a, any bistro or wine bar or whatever, and that on a Monday, you know, at like 1130, it's just like you still have to line up to get a seat. Um, it's definitely something we take for granted, especially yeah. <laughs> I was in Washington, D.C. last weekend. Mm -hmm. My friend is like an MMA fighter, and I, I went to see him fight. Sure. Man, we, we struggled to, to get some food at, at midnight after the fight. We were, like, really trying hard. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's definitely in our culture here. Like, we, we eat uh, much later than most places in North America. And, like, you know, people love to go to restaurants, and people love to splurge in restaurants. Was it that energy that, like, built-in restaurant culture that pulled you in – to working in the industry in the first place? Oh my God. I like at first I just wanted to cook, right? Like mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't want to be a chef. I didn't want to own Like I thought that would be nice if that happened right. at one point, but I really just like started cooking just because I liked cooking. I didn't know at, at the beginning, I didn't know if I liked to do it, and on a professional way, I just wanted to like learn some stuff. And I just, I got hooked. I never, never got, I never thought of doing anything else. It's never crossed my mind. And uh, it's been 20 years now that just going, you know, I haven't really even, maybe it's the first time I stopped thinking of why I'm doing this right now with your question. You know, <laughs> you know I love it. I have it in me. But you're right, Darren, though. There's something really special about, being part of that community, you know, like, um, contributing. So same, you know, um, getting into the industry here specifically in Montreal was, it, it, it really is kind of like a vacuum in a way because mm. you're, you're, um, all of a sudden, um, just a tiny drop in a bucket in, in this amazing, uh, community that we have, but you really do feel the result because the, the clientele, mm -hmm. local and international, mm -hmm. is so blown mm -hmm. away by 
that sense of Montreal hospitality. It really is special. Like it really is something that um, I haven't seen or experienced elsewhere. I mean, I'll never forget when I came up for my bachelor party, the first meal we have was at Joe Beef that Thursday night and the way that you took care of we, we we sort of knew each other, but not 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 crazy well. And I just felt like I'd known you for years. And and you know that that love and that extension is you do take it for granted. You do you do be like you go to other cities and you're like okay, like the the food's here, but it's missing a little bit of that 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 love and that 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 family feeling. Um, sure. You guys have the industry to thank of bringing you two together, right? You guys met uh, yeah, in the is. industry. Um, exactly. We were work colleagues before anything else. I feel like that's a good, like if you can work with someone and you respect someone the way they work, that allows for like friendship and more. Totally. Yeah. We, <laughs> we were the best of friends. Um, tons of respect, obviously. And then uh, things just evolved, you know, as life uh, can, can do to two people. <laughs> yeah. 15 years now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, Listen, you two were working at some of the most decadent restaurants during some of the, like the headiest times <laughs> in the Montreal scene. You know, that was the reputation coming out. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, obviously things have changed and I want to talk about that change a little bit. But during that era and like the, the late aughts and things like that, like what was it like? You know, the good, the bad, unbelievable, you know, like you talk about being part of a community, but that was that was a. A community with legs. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. It wasn't for, for the faint of heart. And there was Mm-mm. something really excess um, driven about it. Um, you know, in all of those moments, for sure, um, w- even when you're in it, there's something very unsustainable, you know, mm. about that type of energy. It's kind of like a perfect storm of everyone being the right age at the right place in their life uh, with the right conditions where they're all in the same zone and it, with those same desires to kind of go crazy. Um, so I just remember there are so many times where I remember thinking, I wish that everybody who loves food and wine and, you know, all these things could be here. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember moments that like, I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, like, I just really wish everybody who, who would appreciate this could be here because th- these are such fleeting moments, oh, yeah. you know, like right. w- whatever it is, like, you know, uh, scenes like, um, the hockey scene with Bourdain on Valentine's day with like the immense sauerkraut, like things like that, where like yeah. you're, you're living it, but you're also just like, this is never going to happen again. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, I mean, we, we were super lucky to be along for the ride during those crazy moments and it felt like the cooking at that time the food was just pushing boundaries in a way where there's a little bit more maybe restraint or refinement today mm-hmm. marco what was it like being in the kitchen at those times and, and well, just pushing boundaries what we talked earlier about like mo- iconic montreal restaurants like walensky's and sure. you know uh, moishas was part of that unfortunately mm, steakhouse yeah yeah steakhouse but uh 
there was like this moment of all these, you know, real institutions that were open 80 plus years ago. And then 20, 25 years ago, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pied Cochon opened in Montreal, yeah. which was really, uh, I feel the, the start of a new, of a new genre and a new style of cooking in Montreal where Martin and like what he was doing, I think he, op- I think it's 22 years now that Pied Cochon opened really influenced a lot the Montreal food scene to a point that a lot of restaurants were influenced or like wanted to, wanted the piece of the pie almost, you know, like, Mm. uh, and that lasted quite a bit. That lasted a good, that, that type of food, that type of generosity, that type of opulence, Piet Cochon style influenced a lot of restaurants in in the city, and even if you go to Piet Cochon now, it's it's evolved into less of that. You know, like mm-hmm. there, it was really mm-hmm. a, a time and place for that. Uh, I remember going to cooking school. My my one of my first jobs in Montreal was Joe Beef. Then I stayed for eleven years, I think. Eleven years. Uh, you're out of cooking school. I've worked in a few mission star places in Europe where everything's kind of like you know, clean and twizzery and like mm. whatever. Like at that point, molecular was super. Yeah. Was super yeah. Cool. Oh man. Like molecular was big, you know, like if everybody wanted, I was like, yeah. in school, they're teaching you how to make like soy spaghetti and like caramelized onion spheres. And, and then. Uh, I remember, yeah. Mm. I remember. And then I remember time. my first day at Joe beef. It's like, there's a, the rib steak is 36 ounces and it serves with a quarter pound of fatty smoked meat and foie gras and pickles. And I'm like, oh, that's that's also like that's very different. But I am kind of I was really into it. You know, I was I was 19 years old, so I was a sponge at that moment. At that time, I was ready to learn and learn everything and meet everybody and work and work even more and you know sp- and fuck up and like order whole pigs and learn from scratch and like do all that stuff and. Uh, at that moment and for like a very long time, that's that's really what I loved cooking. That's really what I loved serving. It's, it was so much fun. People at the restaurant always make fun of me. I still do that, but I would like, you know, I I'm not a guy that goes in the dining room a lot. It's not my favorite thing. And but I love to watch people eat. Mm. <laughs> so I would like, you know, yeah. like those, no, those, I get those, that. Those moments where not every you're cooking off the cuff a bit. You're cooking in the heat of, of the service and you know what you're doing is good, but you haven't had, you didn't like test it a million times during the day. And like, so I would like hide behind the pass and kind of like look in the <laughs> dining room at Joe Beef. It'd be the bar back in the day, ABCD. Like, oh yeah. Wait for that one first bite and wait for that reaction kind of thing. Yeah, that was, you know, and like the, the wall factor of like, you know, bringing a whole, I don't know, a whole pork shank with an oyster sauce. Like, you know, like it, it was already like a big wall factor in every yeah. aspect, you know? Yeah, there's that enjoyment, also, that mean, decadence. There's also, Darren, like you have to remember, this is all pre-Instagram stuff, right? No, I know. It was all, it was such a mystery. You just heard. Exactly. There was a huge mystery. Yeah. No any idea what it was going to really be. And Twitter existed, but like we didn't have Twitter at that Kinda, time. Yeah. You know, I mean, it wasn't even really used by the X. masses. And it was not photography, so you really had to use your imagination. And when you entered, you know, things were were just like a discovery, right? Uh, 
Yeah. yeah. I missed that. People didn't know what they were getting into, exactly. you know? Like, now it's very different. I enjoy the moment we're cooking in right now very much, but that aspect has almost completely disappeared. Everything has been geotag and Google image yeah. and, like, uh, Eater 38 and reveal and Yelp and everything. So people have no... First, kind of like already know what they want to eat, know what it's supposed to look like, know the weather to ask for. You know, there's a there's a bit that's changed a bit. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, people on their toes. We change the menu all the time, so that doesn't happen too much. And yeah, you have a daily menu, and that does change. But I, I have heard things where people just uh, show up to restaurants, literally hold up a phone, and just be like this important yeah yeah no one can see it, but we're all doing the same move um <laughs> all right let's take a quick musical break uh when i come back i want to talk about a shift in the scene and the road to opening vin mon la pen and what people can expect to hear on the stereo late at night on let's say like a tuesday i'll give you time to think about it we have a song from the archives here on snacky tunes on heritage radio network Be 
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're here with Vanya and Marco from Vin Mon Le Pan. And right before the break, we were talking about a shift from sort of the old guard with Apiedic Sean and then the, the the wave that came after that. But then I felt there was another shift. I felt like maybe five, six, seven years ago, um, people sort of sobered up, both figuratively and literally. People started looking at a different type of cooking. What was it like to be in the scene when that, I don't know if healthier is the right word, but like there was yeah. a, a groundswell of being like, we can't keep, as I think Vani said, this isn't sustainable. Well, right. So totally. I think also though, like we just personally <laughs> got <Yeah>. older. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like anything, you know, you want to live through, you know, different phases and mm-hmm. you know, go through different things, go to bed at different hours, uh, you know, fill your days differently. Um, so that's kind of what it is. Also and- a clientele kind of like gets older with us. A sure. Bit, well, you know? and, yeah. Then, yeah, and then, uh, Yes and no, but you know. But uh, and I want to just be really clear when you talk about shifts, like Opie de Cochon is still open and incredible. Of course, of course, is still open and incredible. Opie de Cochon is open. The Sugar Shack is probably one of my favorite places in the world. Legendary. Go to legendary. I make it a yearly uh, pilgrimage at least once a year. So weirdly, their summer menu. Oh my god! Their summer menu, the what Vaisant cooks out there is incredible. incredible. But it's not every night. It's, it's not, not every day like it, it used to be. Exactly. And there are a lot less, you know, brown booze shots circulating and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. It's more about like, you know, a little bit more elegance. I'm, and, I'm, I'm like, okay, if I don't drink another shot of Jameson for like the rest of my life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Move yeah we forward. McAllen 12 only for the yeah, show. Only. You see, only. we're moving up. We're up. 18. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, 18. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I forgot who I was talking to. Um, but yeah, the shift comes, right? You have a different way that you want to cook. You want to live and the food that you want to serve. Um, was that, was that shift? That stuff was what started you on the road to thinking about opening up, uh, your own spot. When did you start having those conversations? Honestly, we didn't like, we really didn't have (laughs) conversations that were like, okay, we're evolving, blah, blah, blah. Like, because you don't notice it. Right. It just kind of happens organically um to us so we live in little italy in montreal which is uh the same neighborhood where you can find uh the jean Talon market which is the really best. in north america like aside from let's say maybe the west hollywood farmer's market which is mind-blowing um it's probably one of the best markets um you know in in the mm-hmm. continent just because it's open every day of the year um huge you know uh covered portion also outdoors in the summertime really special so it's one of our favorite places we live about two blocks from there mm. we're always walking around the neighborhood with our dog we saw this place for rent we started having, you know, some dreamy thoughts because mm. we just spent the last 15 years on one block on Notre Dame having the best time. But, you of know, course. we were excited to maybe branch out and do something else. So um, so we decided to invest in our neighborhood that we love. Mm. It's literally at the opposite side of town. And what's funny is that Joe Beef and those restaurants are by the other market in Montreal. The sure. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The tale of two markets, essentially. I love but, it. Um, 
so yeah, so we started dreaming about what it would be. We already had, at the time, we were all still kind of partners and doing doing all the restaurants together. So we already had the Joe Beef, you know, uh, big, burly, meat-heavy um etc oysters whatever uh restaurant we had the liverpool house bistro we had the Mm -hmm. natural wine bar Mm -hmm. we were like okay what are we gonna do and it just became obvious that we wanted to do something really intimate really connected to um kind of marco's um background cooking lots of uh, Italian inspired food, Jessica's background, who's our co-chef and partner cooking a lot of really exciting vegetables. Um, and that's it. Wine was a big part of it from the start. Um, per- personally, the, we wanted to really open, like we wanted to work in this neighborhood. We wanted to work in little Italy. Yeah. So I wanted to cook again, mm. you know, like, at one point, at one point, I started garde manger and then, you know, become chef and then chef of sure. and then executive chef. And then all of a the sudden there's 130 employees. And then me being the line in cooking wasn't a, like meant something went wrong. You know, like it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, it was it, for a few years, me cooking on the line wasn't the plan anymore because I had all these other things to do. Right. Opening Mont Lapin near where we live in their neighborhood that we love so much. We lived there together for a long time for me meant cooking again. And I was really, really excited because I, I became chef and executive chef. I don't regret anything, but kind of young, maybe it may like, I'm happy yeah. it happened, but I, like, I could still do this. I yeah, can still like, I, the line. Yeah. I still, I still, I still want to still, Exactly. Let me in. Let me in. <laughs> and um, I was like, I can't. It can't be that I'm like the executive chef that doesn't cook on the line anymore at 29, and then that's it. You know, like yeah. Wanted. Yeah. It was really important for me to get back in the kitchen, get my hands dirty again with Jess. Really important to bring Jess in this project, and then, it, and then it kind of like re-sparked something in me that. It it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't not there, but I I was like scared that it could maybe disappear a bit too early. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, I get that. You still want to be able to um, have a tactile feel to create instead of just being like I have ideas or someone else is executing my vision. Um, you know, you you mentioned uh, Jess and. You know, you open. You have five partners who are opening, and I've seen this as a trend now, where it's not just one chef with maybe like private equity or something like that. Like I've seen these like multiple partner operations. Why did you want to take that approach for this restaurant? Given that it's, I mean, it's it's expanded over the years, but it's still pretty small and intimate. What what was the structure like, and why that approach? It was very clear. There's more. There's enough room in a busy restaurant than mm. one owner and one chef and one sommelier. There's, mm. uh, you know, w- we really had like a solid core of people that we wanted not to hire. We wanted to work with, which is like, it's just like if we want to make that clear because it's it's the way we plan the business is the way we like wanted to like manage the restaurant. So we don't want to work with, the, we want to want to hire these people, want to work together and like work together means at all levels, you know, and uh, there's running many restaurants for many years. I realized quickly 
that when you're busy, if you want to keep everybody kind of um, with some, what's the word? Like, inspiration, insp- motivation. Inspiration, motivation, you know, energy even. You need to work a bit less. And to work a bit hmm. less, you need to be able to split the work. There's enough work in a busy restaurant for two chefs. There's enough work for two managers. There's enough work for two sommeliers. If you have a no okay size restaurant that's busy, and like you know, you keep the lo- you keep the love of your work doing it like that, and that's what we wanted to create at Mont Lapin. I mean, that's it's a beautiful thing. I've never heard that approach that way to understand that like there's enough room for everyone and not just just one. Um, and like we make the we make sometimes we're like oh. Maybe in February, we're a bit too many people here, but we make it like we... <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, yeah. When it gets we, cold outside and everyone's inside yeah. trying to stay warm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, um, we make it work and we find the work, you know? Yeah. I mean, look, speaking of the restaurant itself um, and having this type of ethos, it really is reflected in the food and the wine you source, but also the design. And it's got a lot of local art. It feels like the perfect type of neighborhood restaurant. What went in to building out the space, how conscious was it to put everything together so it feels and has that type of vibe? That was the that was the idea. I mean, mm. you nailed it. You know, we wanted it to be a cozy neighborhood restaurant where if it were, let's say, in our neighborhood and we didn't own it, sure. um, <laughs> place that we just always wanted to go to. Um, that's also really what the wine program tries to reflect, wines that we want to drink all the time. Same with the food, you know, it changes all the time just to, to keep it super fresh so that people can come back over and over again and not feel like they're having the same thing all the time. Um, yeah, that's it, you know, super cozy, warm, kind of dimly lit and, and uh, you know, kind of also like prone to some debauchery, prone to some romance, uh, pro- you know, all the, yeah. all, all the good things. Uh, look, I've, I've, I've had some, some nights in Montreal winters at great restaurants. I know exactly what you're talking about. And uh, listen, I will say it's, it is, ha- it does have that neighborhood vibe, but few neighborhood restaurants are also the number one restaurant in Canada. How do you balance that, uh, I would say, national spotlight, international spotlight? What was it like to get that sort of accolade, but knowing like that accolades come and go? Yeah, that's it. I mean, I think um, one thing is for sure, when we got that, um, that um, mention, First, we were obviously surprised, um, super grateful, obviously, as well, you know. Um, but I was really happy personally to have had the experience that I had under my belt mm. at that moment in particular. Just because, like you said, accolades come and go, and it's really easy to kind of just get caught up. Um, we just decided, you know what, we're so happy to that this is kind of just a a proof in a way that, you know, this restaurant's made some people really happy. Uh, Awesome. But we really worked hard at changing nothing. Mm. And we really worked hard at my number one job from that moment became um, making sure 
that all of the people we love who have come to the restaurant for years supported us. The people who during COVID were getting like takeout boxes, the people whose kids come for ice cream in the summer, the people who come every year on their anniversary, on their birthday, whatever it is, all those people, I wanted to make sure that those people were still able to always come to the restaurant because it's a neighborhood restaurant, because yeah. that's the whole essence of it. So my number one job became that, you know, just really making sure that people were able to come um, no matter what. So obviously we want to remain a discovery. We want to remain a destination. That is something so special about that. We love that energy. Um, so it's a mix. It's a mix of all those things. Um but yeah, that the experience that we have working, you know, in other kind of high profile places that have lots of demand and lots of articles coming out all the time, it really benefited us, I think, because we were able to kind of keep it cool headed, be grateful. The team sure. was really happy. Um, and we'll see, you know, next year, someone else will be on top of that list. We'll be so happy for them. Yeah. And, you know, we'll move on. <laughs> Marco's yeah, like, Marco's like, mm. <laughs> No, I, I agree. We're not aiming for like a not not what's what's for them. What's for legacy? Say, uh, like we're not going for like a like a five year streak here. Like, that's not the point. Where were I was really happy and really surprised. You know, we're like a bistro that cooks like delicious, honest food. You know, we're not fa- like we're like fancy i guess ish and the look of the place whatever but the food we make you know i love making bolognese and ragu and pappardelle and like and like things that is very non-tweezery you know so in my head those kind of lists and those top spots were always reserved for these like nordic minimalistic tweezery restaurants which were not and so it came a it came a bit as a as a shock, but at the same time, you know, you take the accolade, you know, it comes and go. We know really well <laughs> we won't be there next yeah. year. So we, mm-hmm. We're enjoying the ride for the moment. And uh, yeah. You know what? Also, though, I will say the list was kind of to me like a bit not to like play down what we do, <laughs> but it was a bit of a reflection of like. Mm an economic like moment you know how, how could it not be world. how could it not be yeah. yeah and like and also what people are looking for when they are going out and spending yeah. some of their money like maybe they're looking for really being able to identify what they're paying for you know oh, not yeah. paying for the white gloves and the the yeah. you know the valet service or whatever you know whatever else um more luxurious places offer which you know is such a treat and 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 wonderful but we clearly aren't that so to me it was kind of just like an indicator of okay this is what people are gra- gravitating towards right now this is what they're craving this is what resonates um so it was interesting you know it's a moment in time in food yeah. and in restaurants today Amazing. Well, You're listen, like the, Mon- the Montreal Canadiens made it to the final during the bubble year in the NHL, <laughs> and like it wasn't supposed to go like that. That's how I feel about art. This it's like the fluke year. <laughs> no, 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 no. So listen, yeah. I, I, I know uh, we're getting close to the end, but I, I want you to paint me a picture. It's Tuesday night. Let's say nine forty-five, ten p.m. Place is packed. What's the vibe? What's on the stereo? What's the scene like in the restaurant? Okay, good. I love it. 
uh, 9.45, people are still coming in. We take reservations until 10.30. Mm-hmm. So there's still some hustle and bustle at the door. Uh, obviously, it's dark out. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, cool. the lights are super dimmed. Yeah. Um, there's tons of food coming out at the at the pass, so it smells great. If it's 9.45, we're probably a bit behind on the flip, so there's probably yeah. wait, people yeah, waiting, waiting, standing next to the kitchen, which is kind of fun, too. People are having apéro, standing around, mm. having a cocktail, a bottle of wine, a bottle of bubbles, whatever it is. Um, and then music is getting a little bit soulful maybe maybe yeah. a little bit um maybe a little bit um funky alex alex landry is in charge of the playlist of like making the playlist at the restaurant and he's really like he has a band grand public which is amazing and he like he will stop anything during service to like get the mood and change the music yeah, yeah, like that's that's the that's the beginning of service playlist right now and like It like would like I would be ringing the bell at, in the kitchen, like pick like service, and then this guy's like, "Wait a second, changing the music. <laughs> I'll be back." You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the music's super important, and it's not loud, but it's definitely not not loud. Um, so yeah. I don't know. I you know at that hour maybe some Freddie Mercury, maybe uh, woven in with like a bit of jazz, not too much. Like we love Keith Jarrett and things that mm. are a little impro based. BB um, Flash. Yeah, there might be some Sade woven in. There might be a bit of rap like Dave or Sampa the Great or something like that. Um, Kendrick Lamar. Um, Pino, our boy Pino. And we love playing Alex's music too. Grand Public is, is dope. So there's always a bit of that. Um, yeah, that's it. Amazing. Well, listen, <laughs> congratulations to you both. If people want to stop by or make a reservation or just follow along, where can they go? How can they how can they check out what you're doing? Yeah, thank you. That we always forget to mention that. Um mm-hmm. That's why I'm here. <laughs> is the website. It's where you can find us. We also have an Instagram page, Vaimontlapin, V-I-N-M-O-N-L-A-P-I-N. Um Resi, Montreal, walk in, come see us, you know. Give us a call. There's no room, we'll make you stand by the kitchen. That's yeah. It. And there's some, uh, if you need some uh, shopping for the holidays, there's some good merch going on right now in the store as well. Um, get the merch. Get the merch. Get the merch. All right. Well, listen, so good to see you both. Congratulations on everything. I can't wait to come back. Uh, we have a song from the archives and then a live performance from Sonder Urians here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.
Sonder, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Pleasure to have you. Thanks for making time during the busy holiday season. Really appreciate it. No problem. No problem. Uh, Coming off uh, Thanksgiving week, how'd you spend it? Full of food, full of family, friends, or yes? Yeah, what'd you eat? What'd you get down? Uh, I went to um, my family lives on Whidbey Island, Washington. So. And I'm in LA, so it's a pretty quick flight up there. And uh, went up there, and my brother's a chef, and he did a couple turkeys on an open fire spit. Casual, just a <laughs> yes, casual, casual Francis Mommen style <laughs> spit roasted turkeys, right? Exactly, exactly. There wow, that sounds so nice. It was great. I mean, it's a, that place is paradise. I mean, it's pretty dark and rainy in most of the year, but still, it's incredible. Yeah, well, when the light shines, it really shines, right? Yeah, no, incredible. It's amazing. Um, congratulations, sophomore record, Phantom Limb. Thank Been you. Listening to it over the break, and really nice, really nice for this time of year. How's it feel to have? I mean, you've ha- you have a lot of work out in the world, but let's call this your second baby. What's it yeah, like to? Yeah, no, have, it really is. I mean, uh, kid number two out there trotting around. <laughs> it's great, you know. I I. I have, you know, I started my kind of music career, I guess, as a performing musician mm-hmm. um, and kind of, you know, drifted into film scoring with Danny, my partner. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. and we just became, you know, we never really sought it out. It just we became so busy and, you know, it, you know, it takes up a lot of my time, but I still have, you know, I still have the, the urge and, the, you know, I need to write songs and do other things so it's it's hard to find the time but i I do and it feels good to be able to put that out it's it's pretty scary for me (laughs) um just because you know i've you know for it's been years and years and years of kind of just sitting here by myself in my studio and writing film music and putting my own stuff out is a little little freaky well, also, you know, and you're such a well-accomplished composer with, you know, Ozark and the new Tina documentary and things like that. And I'm not saying you're you're not hiding behind it because, like, obviously oh. the music's such a part of it. But, like, <laughs> this is very much you. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not – I don't think it's inaccurate to say we're, we hide a little bit behind the film. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's – you know, it's – it is – it's it, – Maybe not in a bad way hiding. No, you know, no, it's, no, no. It's, it's kind of camouflaging us as yes. an ego. Um, but yeah, this is, I mean, this is all me. <laughs> it's, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it is. It, it is. And it's interesting because, you know, with so much work and so much creative output, okay, you put out the one album just to get the sketches or the creative things, you do it. But this is album number two. When did you start to realize that you had enough to say with the second release? And, and did you want to say, say something different? Because I know that you put this album out on your own imprint. So yes. what was your thinking behind this one and, and how you want to share it with the world? Well, um, Beasts was the first album that was mm-hmm. released in 2020. And that was a, you know, a collection of songs and pieces of music that I had been writing I think eight years or something. Right. Like all the, all the, the things rolling around for years. Yeah. Yeah. And then it took, you know, to get it out to find, you know, I put it out with Decca and that was yeah, great, yeah. but it took a while to get all that rolling. And all through that time I was continuing to write songs and write music. So this album 
is you know stuff that was it's it's kind of been seamless you know mm. it wasn't like i finished that album and then i was like i'm gonna write this other album mm-hmm. it just kind of spilled over and i just kept writing songs and when i could i you know come back to them and and um yeah and then the as far as the the label and getting it out you know i've always i i find you know, the, the music industry and the, the way people listen to music has changed so much. I mean, it's um, and night and day. I, I, I'm not sure I can keep up, <laughs> honestly. Um, and that's okay. And, and I think what's most important for me is to just be putting this stuff out somehow and, mm-hmm. and, and making sure it has some wings, you know, that I'm not just kind of, you know, putting it out totally under the radar. Um, and so I, I thought... I always thought it would be cool to have some sort of conduit to release stuff, you know, whether it's my record or Danny's record Mm -hmm. or our soundtrack. Sometimes we get to keep the soundtrack rights and we have publishing and masters. Sometimes we don't. Um, So just having, you know, so we started this, this little label called ghost talk and um, it's, you know, it's kind of stumbling along and it's, first few months of life but hopefully it'll turn into something interesting um we're gonna do uh, aside from our own non-film music we're gonna try and do kind of re-releases of Mm. vinyl you know re-releases of um scores that maybe already out there or stuff that never got released um i love that i love that idea of just uh here's a label that you can curate and sometimes it's yeah. things you love and sometimes it's your own stuff. I mean, there's so much great music, especially now with just stuff out there that is like, have you heard this? Yeah. You haven't cause you can't find it. Well, let, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, let's put it in your hands, you know, let's put it in that and like classic soundtracks and inspirations. It's like, yeah, um, yeah totally. It's, it's so much more of like a, a, an art project than going through like the red tape of like finding the label and going through that. And like, it's, exactly. it allows different ways of expression. I imagine. It really does. And I, I'm excited. Like, just like you said, it's a way of curating almost, um, you know, not just our stuff. Eventually yeah. we do other people's stuff too. And just having some sort of place where people can go and know, you know, I don't find good music. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <or laughs> And just, the vinyl yeah. aspect of it really excites me. I think, you know, people are getting back into vinyl, which is so cool. And the, you know, just the artwork and packaging and stuff that, I love, I love all that. I mean, the absolute like ephemera obsession of vinyl yes. these days is crazy. Yes, it's great. It's great. Um, all right, let's get into a song. Uh, first song uh, I think you're playing for us is Little Lie. What's the story behind it? Um, well, this I re-recorded for you guys just with uh, Danny on cello and me on acoustic guitar. Um, and yeah, it's the first track on the, the new album. It's it's a it's a great way to open up the album, and I'm glad it's the first song we're going to hear today. Uh, here we go on Snacky Tunes live on Heritage Radio Network. Ooh, just a little lie. I told him just a little lie.
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are here with Sonder Urians, and there is this theme of, or this feeling of chaos, especially in that track. And I remember the first time I listened to it, and I was like, "Is this thing going to break open?" And it was like pulling me forward and pushing me back, and then it you br- you bring it back in. Um, obviously, <laughs> there's been a lot of chaos recently in the world and things like that. Was that a was that an intentional inspiration to have that feeling in your music or did it just subconsciously come through? It might be subconscious. I think, yeah, I didn't intentionally, I don't think, yeah, there's no intentional comment on kind of what's going on in the world or anything, but it's funny you say that, but Mm -hmm. I I always kind of, I, I have a, a real interest in chaos and, mistakes i guess Mm. i mean i i always you know with film music and with my own music i'm always you know looking for mistakes i I, i'm you know i'm i'm good at playing some instruments and not good at playing other ones but i play them anyways and i kind of welcome the chaos that ensues (laughs) with that um and yeah that song has a few kind of cliffs where it you know you get to a and then yeah. it starts to fall off and, and then it kind of comes back. Um, and, and yeah, just kind of that kind of stuff happens in my recording process, I think. Um, and I usually just kind of keep it rather than trying to edit it out or something. I mean, it's nice. And, you know, I, I'm staring at the studio you're right now. And, and speaking of instruments, I see like, a, you know, giant piano, a giant keyboard. And it seems to be such a driving sound and center of the album um obviously you work with so many different instruments why focus on the piano this time is it the range is it allow for those mistakes those mishit keys more than something that's a little bit more tuned in yeah it's a good question i i i think what's happened you know i'm originally a guitar player yeah um, and i you know when i started working on film music you know, I started playing less and less guitar. There's just not as much room for it. Sure. Um, and I was a terrible piano player. <laughs> Still, I'm not great. But I, I, you know, in, I don't know, in my early 30s, I started taking lessons. Because um, I really, I, I found myself writing on piano all the time, just kind of picking, you know, note by note going mm-hmm, through. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, I just need to, I need to learn how to do this and and so i took lessons from a teacher when i was living in brooklyn and and i really you know i really took it seriously and i i it was my for many years it was my morning routine to come in the first thing i would do is play piano for an hour just mm. classical pieces scales all that stuff and um so i've gotten you know competent <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't say i'm great um but, you know, and I also, I play it in a weird way. I play it kind of like I would play the guitar. I don't know why. Like some of the interesting the, um, the um, ar- arpeggiations I do, which is kind of when you take apart chords. Yeah, yeah, I do yeah. it like I do finger picking. I have the same kind of rhythms and stuff. But I find, I just find that the piano has, you know, there's so much range, obviously, and there's so much power in it. And you can, you know, with being able to voice chords and stuff, it's it's just something about it makes it's not that it makes sense to me it's that 
it doesn't make sense to me. So I, mm. I look for it. the guitar I know so well, and I know the chord voicings, and I know oh, where that's so interesting. the notes are and stuff. And piano, I know those notes, the white keys and black keys and whatever, but I end up not doing anything that I, I don't know what I'm doing. So <laughs> I make I make mistakes more often, which I... You know, I've never thought about that, about knowing your instrument so well that it, it's confining. Yes. Because the I, muscle is. memory yeah. and just knowing, like, this won't work. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I just never thought about the idea of attacking something and using it as a central inspiration because yeah. you're less familiar with it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's almost, um, for me, you know, with, with all of the instruments I play, I don't really know what i'm doing and, and that to me is the most freeing thing <laughs> um all right let's get into the next song um i believe an idea is what you have for us next yeah an idea is the second song on phantom limb and it's um i rearranged it for this mellotron over here and i can't remember what else i put up <laughs> mellotron and some other stuff Amazing. Uh, well, here we go. An idea from Sonder Urian's live on Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network.
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're here with Sonder Urians, who's sharing tracks off his second album, Phantom Limb. And, you know, I lived in New York for about 10 years, and, and now I've been in L.A. getting close to almost about the same time. And I'm always, always interested when someone enters a New York or L.A. song into, like, <laughs> the canon of songs about the cities. And look, it's a, it's a decades-old more than that tradition. Um, and you've made your entry. Uh, <laughs> why now? And um, it's definitely a, a specific take on the city from the lyrics, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. I mean, I I wrote Los, it's actually Los Angeles. So it's supposed to be the angel of Los Angeles, obviously. But it. Um, I wrote that right, right as I, realized I was moving here kind of. I mean, mm. We had my wife and I had kind of made the, the decision. And you know, I I've been to, I was coming to LA a lot. I lived in New York for 20 years and I, and I come to LA a lot for mm-hmm. work and for visit friends and touring and stuff and and I know the city, but I didn't really know it. I mean, I think I didn't really know until I knew I was coming here and then I I came with a different a different mm-hmm. view of it and I, I can re- relate, yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I was, you know, I, I was just continually, I love being in L.A. My, my main part of being in L.A., the, the part that I love is the, the accessibility of the mountains and sure. nature and having a, a yard and being able to have a dog and, yep. you know, yep. all those things. It's not necessarily the city, you know, that <laughs> I miss New York in that respect. The city of New York is unbeatable, I think, yeah. as, a, as a city. Agreed. Um, and I was just, you know, I was just, I was shocked by a lot of stuff in LA. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the this song is is kind of a, it's not meant to be like a serious social commentary or anything. I don't really like getting into that, but I just, it's just an observation of this kind of duality and, you know, like of these kind of gods that live in the mountains kind of 
watching over this city that in parts is just falling apart and completely squalid and Mm. it's it's so crazy to to actually think about for me i'm just like wow this is what a strange duality yeah what what a weird situation you have here Mm. um so it was just you know and there was there was a lot of stuff coming out in the news of scandals and stuff and i just kind of i just felt this kind of i don't know why why i don't usually write songs like that that kind of go into the Hmm. social commentary ish world but it just i don't know it hit me it was probably the you know knowing that i was coming here and yeah and um knowing i was about to be kind of part of this strange world sort of being like uh to all your new york friends it's like i'm moving to la but but I, I know what the score is. I know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That place is fucked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, guys. Don't worry. I, I still know where the best pizza is. Um, right. You know, going back to your writing approach and so much of the work you do um, in movies and, 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 you know, prestige TV, you have these themes, musical, lyrical, things like that, that come throughout season the th- and things like that. Do you apply that same approach of themes and ideas and music to when you're writing your own music? Is there room for that? You mean an overall, you know, across the album kind of idea? Yeah, like like referencing different parts of songs, or is it more a compilation? I think it's more a compilation. Mm. I don't, I, I would, you know, it's funny because I, when I started, I think the first song that I started working on from this record mm-hmm. after the last one, I was kind of like after I sort of finished the last one um, was uh, eyes of fire, which is kind of this epic, mm. like, I don't know, rock weird psychedelic thing. And the, the idea was to, I was like, I want to just write a 40 minute song. That just goes wherever I feel like it should go in the moment. You know, like I come in, I write a section and then come in a few days later, write another section that comes out of it. Like and then, a corpse pose type of thing. Like just keep yeah, going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that, that was kind of the idea. I still I still want to do something like that. It didn't work out for that one. But sure. I think it's I think it's something I'd like to do. This idea of kind of having a more um, maybe not a, a concept album or a, some kind of thematic through line of an album. Um, but I don't. I don't think this one has it. There's too much time in between writing the songs. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just they're too. They're too. They fit together in a weird way somehow, but they they're they're written in different mind states, I guess. No, I, that makes sense. I mean, listen, that's the third album's historically the concept album so (laughs) great that's great to know there you go um (laughs) well listen i i know that uh, i want to get one more song in but um you know we just finished one holiday we're heading to the next holiday what do you got planned are you doing the cooking this time or is that all you know i guess if i had a chef with an open fire skills i'd probably be flying, (laughs) flying too well my um my wife is from argentina and so we go there we try to go there christmas every year and we're going this year um so probably eat some excellent steak um, mm-hmm. and yeah i'll be down there it'll be hot summer and 
and that'll be fun. Beautiful. Well, listen, congratulations on Phantom Limb. Uh, I believe the last track you have for us is Everything Shines, yep. and it's out on Ghost Talk uh, Records, your own imprint. What's the story behind this song? Uh, this is a song, another song like this. The, the original recording is uh, all body sounds. It's all voices, uh, clapping, you know, chest thumping, uh, whistling. Um, but obviously I couldn't do that in a more live <laughs> setting. So I did it for our guitar, cello and vocals. Beautiful. Well, congratulations. Thank you so much for making the time. Thank you to Gio for setting this up. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network. It's a ritual to sacrifice.
Tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org/slash subscribe.